the Sports on Point Weekly Rewind, a week in review with Matt Smith and Bob Williams. Let's back it up. Well, it's been a little bit over a week, but we're going to talk about this week in sports. Starting off with last Thursday, Orlando Magic coach Stan Van Gundy says media already picked Derrick Rose as MVP. Matt? Yeah, I really think Stan Van was using the statement to kind of chastise the media, but I don't really see that as being justified. It's it's a NBA season that's 70 games in at the point in time that this statement was made out of a total of 82. I don't really think it's all that unreasonable to assume that the media and everyone has seen enough to know that Derrick Rose is the MVP. Am I wrong? You're not wrong at all. This is kind of a preposterous statement. I know he has to back up his guy with uh, Dwight Howard. Unfortunately, did anyone have the Chicago Bulls leading the East, uh, let alone with their early season troubles? So, honestly, Derrick Rose for MVP seems like almost a no-brainer right now. And to kind of back that up a little bit more, I mean, if you think about, like, statistics – with this point in the season, it's really hard to change even from number two to number one in statistics unless it's a really close range. When you're talking about stuff that's averaged over a 70-game span, a 12-game stretch towards the end of the year really doesn't make that big a difference. Also on Thursday, 2011 spring training, Texas Rangers set rotation, keep Neftali Feliz in bullpen. Bob? Um, the biggest thing coming into the uh, season this year is uh, during spring training, they actually worked Feliz to extend his uh, pitch, his innings and uh, pitch count out to see if he could actually roll into the uh, regular starting rotation. They decided to keep him in the bullpen, but I can see why they're looking at this just because they have a very young lineup with really CJ Wilson being their only veteran in, in the starting rotation. Yeah, and I think uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see at some point in this season uh, Felice getting moved into a starting spot if they do find somebody who can fill in that closer position for him. Um, right now, I think as much as anything, they don't want to take Felice out of that because, well, he did a good job at it last year, and, and why mess with something that's good? Um, Felice ultimately in the long run will be a starting pitcher for this team, maybe this season, maybe next season. But um, he's just going to have to wait. And uh, from everything I've seen, he seems to be being very patient and respectful during the waiting process. On Friday, Deion Sanders criticizes Dallas Cowboys wide receiver Des Bryant and has cut ties with him. Matt? Yeah, Deion, Sander, Deion Sanders cut all ties from Des Bryant, who is a player he has been mentoring for the last few years. It's kind of a, a weird thing for him to do when you consider Dion himself and his past. When he was 21 years old, he uh, had an altercation with a police officer at a shopping mall and was arrested for it. Okay, Des Bryant, as a 23-year-old, had an altercation with a police officer at a shopping mall. It kind of sounds pretty familiar, and if I remember correctly, the last time that Des Bryant got in trouble before this incident was when he essentially lost his NCAA, NCAA eligibility for talking to Deion Sanders when he wasn't supposed to be. So Deion Sanders stepping away from Des Bryant at this point in, in his, uh, his career, I think is a very, very, very bold hypocritical statement. Yeah, and I really want to see what, what mentoring or, or what ideals that he has to actually put into Des Bryant. They didn't even play the same position. I understand Deion Sanders did play wide receiver in the NFL, but it was more of a gimmick style anyways. So what mentoring at, at the age of 23, he's already played two seasons in the NFL. 
Does he really need it? No. Also on Friday, Cincinnati Bengals' Chad Ochocinco asked to play in MLS reserve game. Bob? Yeah, uh, this is the ongoing saga of Ochocinco. Uh, he did... Uh, get to extend his stay with uh, the Kansas City team. I know he originally started out with just a, uh, a, a, a actually wow, a tryout and it extended into this uh, reserve role. I, I don't know what he did, but hey, go go him. Yeah, actually after the uh, after the reserve game that he played in, um, they said that he was he was acceptable uh his, his performance was decent but as a player that you don't you know isn't going to serve you a long-term uh commitment on your team i think it's hard to make a commitment to a guy like ocho cinco when you know at the next opportunity he's going to be back to playing in the nfl uh, now that being said uh the the management of the kansas city team pretty much came out and said that while we didn't do this for the publicity i don't think anybody's going to say it hurt and uh hey you know whether they want to believe they didn't do it for the possi- uh, publicity or not, at least they're admitting that uh, they did get some out of it. On Saturday, also for Major League Baseball spring training, Cincinnati Reds' Bronson Arroyo has mononucleosis. Matt. Yeah, Arroyo was diagnosed with mono on uh, Friday. The symptoms started about two weeks before that, and um, if anybody out there's had mono, you know it can last a long time. It's uh, up to six more weeks that he could be seeing it. He's not really planning on missing any starts to begin the season, but uh, uh, wow, uh, playing with mono while it's while it's a feasible thing. I know I personally had it before. I wouldn't really count on him if he's in your fantasy lineup to pitch you a whole lot of innings and give you a whole lot of solid production during that time frame. Yeah, at this point, all you can ask for him is probably five innings. Uh, you know, definitely not the production production that you uh, expect possibly out of a Bronson Arroyo, whether it be fantasy or as a Cincinnati Reds fan. This is tough, man. That's, that's all I can say is I uh, hope he gets better soon for them uh, to have a chance because he's, he's definitely needed down there. Also on Saturday, City of Anaheim admits to their pursuit of the Sacramento Kings. Bob? Why not? You know, L.A. is the biggest market out there outside of New York. New York is pretty much a two-team city with New Jersey moving to the Bronx here uh, shortly. So why not? Anaheim's close enough. Uh, It it keeps a lot of the Kings fans, I would say, still Kings fans because you're still in the same state. I know you're moving a few hours away, but not not a bad deal. It's better than having them move to Las Vegas or somewhere else. Yeah, one of the things that I think is probably weighing in a little bit on the mind of the Maloof brothers is that um, by moving to Anaheim, there's some there's some speculation that they're going to cut into the Lakers television deals that they have with local com- uh, with the with the local broadcasting companies, and I wouldn't be surprised knowing the history that the Lakers and Kings have had in the late 90s and early 2000s. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if they were willing to make the move to Anaheim just to hurt the Lakers' television deals. On Sunday, Tennessee Volunteers names Missouri State's Quanzo Martin coach. Matt? 
yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of the Tennessee faithful were pretty up in arms when this decision was announced on Sunday. But I think the opinion comes from a lack of understanding when it comes to the situation that Tennessee is facing right now. Uh, first of all, Tennessee is not a storied basketball program, and they've been pretty successful recently. But um, that really isn't enough to lure the top coaching talent from uh, like a mid-major program like Butler or. Um, dare I say it, even Shaka Smart at VCU is, is a little bit of a long shot, especially when you consider that there's a lot of uncertainty around this program with all the NCAA investigations that are coming up. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, volunteers get hit with some recruiting and postseason bans. Therefore, hiring a guy like Martin, who, by the way, took a Missouri State team from 11-20 and 20 to 26-9 and nine in just two seasons, hiring a guy like him uh, is a guy you can give him a little bit of leash uh, because of the fact that they're they're running into the NCAA sanctions, so um, should give him a chance to really excel and uh, time to get to the point where he can. Yeah, if not, what's the worst that happened? You waste two years, you get over the NCAA infractions or whatever, and move on. You know, it, it's not like it, it's a big name coach that you're going to get blasted in the media for possibly firing. You know, two or three years down the road because he couldn't just cut it. So, not not a bad deal. Also on Sunday, Chicago Cubs released Carlos Silva, voiced displeasure with the pitcher's parting shots. Bob. Um, <clears throat> pretty much Silva was cut from the 25-man rotation and said that he, his pitching coach wasn't straight with him. Uh, honestly, Carlos Silva really isn't that big of a name anymore. He really didn't do much when he was with the Cubs. You know, a few years ago with the Twins, he did all right. But, you know, move on. You're a professional that's about it. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit humorous that he was making statements saying that he wasn't given the same uh, uh, looks that the other tryout pitchers were getting and said he came into the competition at a disadvantage. Well, from the midseason point through the end point of last season, Silva's ERA was 14.89. If that doesn't give you a disadvantage, I don't know what does. He's got nobody to blame here but himself. On Monday, San Antonio Spurs add Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, to Tim Duncan injury. Matt? Yeah, this is a pretty important injury. Um, obviously, the Spurs and the Lakers are in the midst of a, a late-season battle for the number one spot in the West. And uh, with having Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan missing, as well as Antonio McDice, who's also a starter for this team, um, it, it, it seems like it's going to be a significant uh, significant setback when you consider that before these injuries started they had a seven game lead on the Lakers and in the course of a week it dropped down to only four games they really need these guys to get back healthy and in the lineup if they want to have that home court advantage in the Western Conference playoffs which with the com competition level out west that's a very very important thing yeah, it's an important thing, but can you jeopardize the actual health of your team for your run? Uh, we know that Tony Parker, Manu, and, and Duncan, if they're healthy, it doesn't matter where, where they're playing, they, they can beat you. So I, as much as, hey, usually I am one of those people that go for, the, go for the gold, go for the number one seed, this team, at this point, just get, get them and keep them healthy. Also on Monday, Dallas Cowboys, Des Bryant sued over $246,000 jewelry tab. Mr. Williams. Uh, uh, a second posting of uh, Des Bryant. Uh, there was actually a third one on here about another issue with a jewelry tab. Uh, unfortunately, with this one, 
talks about how from February of last year, a guy sold him a uh, piece of jewelry or pieces of jewelry, and they just haven't come to an agreement on how much and when he owes it. I would assume that after a year, you should probably pay it back. Yeah, and there was a uh, there was another lawsuit that came to light also regarding some unpaid rent at an apartment that he had in Stillwater, Oklahoma, running up until about two years ago. So all in all, it's been a pretty rough month or so for Mr. Des Bryant. But um, you know, he's he's in a situation where he probably has the money to pay these debts back with no questions asked if we're playing football right now. So it comes at an especially bad time. And uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, Mr. Bryant is in a, is in a dark place uh, over all this. On Tuesday, LeBron James of Miami Heat delayed by Cleveland Cavaliers garage parking security. Matt? Yeah, there was significantly less fanfare uh, preceding this Miami Heat visit to Cleveland compared to last year and i'm sure it's because uh you know the Cavs have been absolutely wretchedly bad for majority of the season although uh you know some people have made it out to be that tempers have cooled and maybe there's a bit of that that's true as well but uh, regardless of why there hasn't been the fanfare um i don't think the members of the security uh at, at cleveland or the cleveland security uh got the memo because LeBron showed up with his full entourage in tow, and they wouldn't let him into the park and or into the parking garage until he got rid of the entourage and came back by himself. So uh, interesting little uh, little tussle, and, and hey, maybe this had some impact because as we all now know, the Cavs came and came pretty strong in that game and beat a Miami Heat that they had absolutely no business beating. All I gotta say is, uh, not in our garage. Famous tweet by uh, Dan Gilbert after after the game. Uh, pretty much, he tried to do something that he was allowed to as a member of the Cavs organization. You don't get those same rights to bring your entourage if you're a visitor. So, unfortunately, dumb move by him. It delayed him, but he should have known. You know, you're, you're a visitor now. You don't get these same benefits that you normally would. I think it's safe to say that he did not try doing this the last time he came to Cleveland. No, but the last time he was at least in the introductions. So who know who knows what was going on in his head this this time? <laughs> of course, the referring to the cowardly skipping of the introductions by Mr. LeBron James couldn't stand to be baked food, I guess, by his hometown crowd. Well, also on Tuesday, Jalen Rose arrested for DUI from TMZ.com. Bob. I think this is funny that uh, I would say even a month ago before March Madness started, would this really be up here on Thwackle? Uh, probably not. But the fact that Jalen Rose put his story out there with the Fab Five for ESPN or HBO or whichever organization, he gets put into the front and center stage delight. Uh, unfortunately for him, it was just a, a <laughs> icy roads and he shouldn't have been drinking situation. Kofi learns from it. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because if you go into the time leading up to the Fab Five documentary, there was a whole lot of buildup on ESPN about it, and I'm sure that uh, Jalen Rose was very excited to get this piece that he had produced on the air, but um, the fallout from it has been nothing but negative, really, for Jalen Rose with all the controversy about the Uncle Tom statements that he made and, of course, the, uh, the now – DUI arrest, which, by the way, came two days before the Fab Five documentary aired. Um, 
yeah, I don't think this uh, I don't think this month has turned out quite the way that Jalen Rose expected it would. On Wednesday, Dominique Wilkins attacked by a fan after a game. Atlanta Hawks say, Matt. Yeah, this headline is a little bit misleading. Dominique was attacked after the game, but I wouldn't know that I would describe the attacker as a fan, considering the attacker was a former NBA referee who claims that Dominique owes him money. I don't know about you, but something sounds a little bit odd when you're talking about a former player owing a former referee money. Now the referee claims that the money is owed for custom suits that he sold to Dominique Wilkins and never received payments on. But I don't know, if I sold somebody custom suits that I never paid for, I'd probably be filing a legal complaint about it, not fighting him. I just really think that there's something else going on here, and, and uh, this kind of stinks of Tim Donaghy to me. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, honestly, I agree with you at this point. It should have been handled through the legal system. Beyond that, this is just absurd. Like, how, how do you do that? Uh, how do you ad- attack a well-known player? What, what, are you, what are you expecting out of this? For him to give you the money? More than anything, it's just giving you a bad name and the likelihood of anything happening in an actual legal setting to sort of backfire. Yeah, and uh, should be should be worth noting that even if all he wanted to do was file a lawsuit, if you're Dominique Wilkins, you're a public figure, you're a vice president of an NBA basketball team, don't you think you just pay the guy if he files a lawsuit rather than let it go to court? Just really, really, really bonehead move if this is all legit. In rounding the week off on Wednesday, Purdue Boilermakers coach Matt Painter turns down Missouri Tigers, sources say. Bob? Uh, this is actually a very smart move for Matt Painter. I don't understand the, the the idea of going from Purdue to Missouri. Maybe easier competition? I I don't know. Purdue, the p- past uh, few years, ever since Painter took over, over for the legendary Gene Cady, has done really well. They've been a top-half team in the Big Ten, even without their star, Robbie Hummel, the past few years. So he has something going there. Why jump off the train? Yeah, so of course now with uh, with Painter, who apparently um, has not had the best of a relationship with his athletic director at Purdue, which is the only reason I think he was ever even considering it. But uh, now that he's turned down, they're looking at um, looking at some guys like Shaka Smart from VCU, uh, Chris Mooney from Richmond, and uh, Ben Jacobson from Northern Iowa. Um, kind of interesting selections there, considering the style of basketball that's been played at Missouri. Um, Chris Mooney playing the Princeton offense with that set of athletes. Yeah, just, I don't know, great coaches, but there's going to be some adjustment time no matter who they go with. Well, that's been this week in sports. We hope you enjoyed this show. Please stay tuned for our weekly scheduled podcast where we'll be discussing what, Matt? Well, we'll be talking a little bit about, the, of course, the magical VCU and Butler run to the Final Four, some outstanding player performances in the tournament, Final Four breakdowns and predictions, and I guess we're obligated to kind of talk a little bit about how horrible we're doing with our predictions. Welcome to episode 45 of the Sports on Point podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. My bracket wasn't phenomenal. Yeah, I don't think any of our brackets were all that phenomenal. No. Um, but uh, the, the the one guy who's got his uh, shoulders held a little bit higher than the rest of us, the man pressing the buttons, 
Mr. Pod Severns. Yeah, I'm really good at picking stuff. I just thought back to 1998, and I was like, what teams were good then? And I just clicked on them, and it kind of worked out. <laughs> All right, so obviously we are deep into the NCAA tournament with the uh, final four games beginning Saturday evening. Um, and, and starting off with a game that I don't think anybody ever really expected, we got uh, VCU versus Butler. Out of the five-plus million entries on ESPN.com, um, I believe two of them had the correct Final Four selected, and a big part of that reason is that virtually nobody had VCU or Butler in the NCAA's Final Four. Um, what do you make of this run by these two teams? Honestly, Matt, it comes down to their coaches, Brad Stevens and Shaka Smart, who have been buzzwords all tourney, even before the beginning of the, the tourney. Uh, these guys have, have worked well with the people that they have. Can you really name a, a star? Uh, you know, Butler is a team that lost Gordon Haywood to the draft and, and still are here. And then uh, Shaka Smart's pretty much rolling around with uh, – Sergio Martinez, I believe, is the point guard who's just everywhere. So th th these are team-oriented, you know, colleges that uh, it's, it's Joey Rodriguez for VCU, but they don't play to one or two strengths. It, it's it's all or nothing for these guys, and and so far it's it's worked to their advantage. You know, I think it's I think it's fair to say that Butler has kind of gotten as far in this tournament as they have basically by the skin of their teeth. There's been some, like, the, the end of the pit game was just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen with the multiple fouls occurring with less than two seconds in the game and, and the, the swing of the lead happening two times during that span of time. They, they, they kind of can't deny the luck there. They, they've never really dominated any of the teams they've been playing against, just played good, solid basketball, keeping it close and making smart, heady decisions at the end of the game. Now, VCU on the other end, wow, VCU has absolutely been dominant every single round of the tournament. And, you know, you said it, Shaka Smart, Rodriguez at the point, both of them big, big reasons. I personally have seen the way they've played in the regular season. won't say I was actively watching them, but after this little run, I, I went back and was looking at some uh, highlights and stuff from them earlier in the year, and they are not the same basketball team they were a month ago. They're not even close. And that being said, I don't know how much you can rely on a team elevating their level of play to the extent that this team has elevated their level of play to continue. How long can that go on? Is this a team that can keep up that level of play for two more games? I think, uh, I think it's fair to say that, that it's possible. I don't, um, I don't know. I don't see either one of these teams winning a championship, though. I think it would be wildly entertaining if it happened. I, I don't think that you can count them out, though, uh, especially Butler. They were there last year. You know, the, these guys were pretty close to, to, to knocking off Duke last year. It came down to, a, you know, at least a last-second shot for them to have that opportunity. So I think out of the two, that if, if Butler does beat VCU, I think they might have the, the better opportunity to knock off their, their big, uh, big brethren, I guess, uh, with... UConn and, and Kentucky, but I, I don't think you can count them out, especially with that experience factor. 
Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree for the most part, although, you know, three out of the top five scorers from last year's Butler squad are not playing this year. So the, the fact that they've been able to bounce back from that pretty significant in and of itself. But just to kind of throw a little bit of numbers comparisons, just in case anybody's not familiar with the historical context of the fact that these two teams are playing against each other in the first round of the Final Four. Prior to this season, um, the lowest-ranked team to ever make it to the Final Four, and by ranking, I'm actually not referring to tournament seeding. We're actually going to go with simple rating systems, which is just a basis of margin of victory versus strength of schedule. It's the very most rudimentary um, uh, subjective calculated ranking system available and uh, prior to this year the lowest rated SRS team that has made it to the final four was George Mason in 2006 who were rated 35th in the country to give you a little bit of comparison to that to this year Butler is rated 52nd in the country and VCU yeah VCU is ranked 70th in the country so this is like completely unprecedented. And I think it's a little bit unfortunate for both of these guys that they end up playing against each other in the first round because what ends up happening is all of the excitement and the draw that's built up around these teams is over their capacity to pull off major upsets. And in the final four, only one of them is going to have a chance to pull off an upset. I think we're actually going to end up with a VCU versus Butler game, which is going to score pretty low on the rating system or on the, on the television ratings, because I don't think most people necessarily care who wins this game, but I think they're going to be excited to see who wins this game going up against the winner of the UK versus UConn matchup, and in which case we're going to have that uh, David versus Super Goliath matchup that everybody loves to watch so much. Yeah, honestly, from there, I don't think it could play out any better in, in that situation. The fact that we have VCU and Butler going up against each other, because if, if you think about it, how would, how would the championship game of VCU and Butler actually rank? Uh, so it, it played out very well with the sides being as I guess, uneven as it is that you're going to have one power conference versus one mid major. I think it would be, I think it would be reasonable to expect that if they had come up on opposite side of the brackets that one or the other of them would not made it to the championship game. Obviously, you know, you're counting on a team that's beating another team that hasn't lost yet in the tournament. So obviously it's, it's a difficult call to make, but I think that that would be the expectation had they ended up on opposite ends of the bracket. And Oh my goodness. But if this was a championship game, you're right. That would be, that would be a ridiculous scenario. And uh, honestly, as much as it would be good for the NCAA to see these types of teams succeed, I don't know that it's good to see two of them going up against each other in a championship game just for that uh, that almighty dollar, that rating system that uh, that would kind of mess them up in the end. Okay, so so obviously VCU and Butler, the big surprise teams of the tournament. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about our predictions about uh, you know some players that we thought were really going to do well, and so far of the predictions that we made, I'd have to say. Uh, Bob, you made a pretty good call with the kid out there in Arizona. Yeah, you know, with, with the fact that he, he kind of struggled in the Texas game just because of the size that they have uh, interior with Tristan Thomas. But other than that, you know, he, he made a, a the last second shot in that game. Uh, he did really well in the Memphis game. And then the Duke game, that's where he stood out for me is the fact that 
I won't say that he single-handedly beat Duke, but because of his performance, it freed up the outside shooters that Arizona had and allowed them to reign on Duke. Uh, you know, typically a Duke team that you don't see in that situation, especially this deep into the uh, bracket. But good for Derek Williams. Uh, he's definitely solidified in, in my mind that he should be a top five pick in the NBA draft if he does go out. So, yeah, they didn't end up uh, beating Connecticut, but they he, he had them in that game at the end, you know, the one shot away from being in this Final Four. Yeah, Derek Williams, I think, is actually pretty exciting as a prospect moving on to the pros. He's, he's, got, uh, he's got the size and build and, and skills to play the three position, but he can post up. He can also hit the outside shot. Kind of reminiscent of Grandma Ma back in the day. Can, uh, can kind of move around the court a lot and open up a lot of things for his teammates just because of his versatility. So he'll be, he'll be definitely high on the draft boards for a lot of teams. Um, a couple other guys that really stepped up um, from what I've seen of the tournament. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, the uh, the freshman shooter from UConn, who's kind of struggled at times throughout this year, really came on, proved to be a solid complement to Kemba Walker's game, and I think he's a big part of the reason that this UConn team is still dancing. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, you, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about Kemba, 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 and as much as Kemba has done a lot for this team, you can't be a one-person te- one team. Uh, just like Arizona, they had Momo Jones go along with Derek Williams until that last game. With the success of Connecticut, it's been Lamb pro- providing that, that, that second fiddle for Connecticut. And they're going to need him against the U.K. team, who is a tough physical defensive team up there um, that— manhandled Ohio State and, and did the same to uh, North Carolina and, and they're a young team so uh, th- this might be one of those games that comes down to your complimentary players not a, uh, a Kemba Walker or, or a Brandon Knight but maybe a Harrelson or a Liggins from a Connecticut or a Lamb from I mean yeah from Kentucky or a Lamb from Connecticut yeah, and, and you know, going going around the the final four. Obviously, we talked a little bit earlier about Rodriguez for VCU. The guy has been absolutely instrumental. There's no way they're there without his play. Um, I think the same could be said about Brandon Knight at Kentucky. Um, he's the kind of guy that you expected big things from at the beginning of the season. Early in the year, he kind of struggled to fit into the dribble drive offense that Calipari runs. But over the last month or so, he has really developed into a solid NBA prospect and single-handedly won two games in the tournament this year just by hitting game-winning shots all by himself. Uh, so big, big, uh, big tournament for Brandon Knight. But you mentioned the name Harrelson, Josh Harrelson. Um, wow. This is, this is a guy who's, a, I believe, a fifth-year senior. I know he's a senior. Uh, never saw any playing time sitting behind Daniel Orton and, and – um, uh, DeMarcus Cousins last year at Kentucky just kind of came on the spot late in the season and has been a double-double machine, an absolute monster in the paint, and a big, big, big part of the reason why they've made it this far. And that kind of leads us into the Final Four. I mean, we, we, we've talked about the two matchups a little bit here, but I think Josh Harrelson in the, in the UConn game is going to be absolutely paramount to Kentucky pulling off a victory and making it to the championship game. You have to remember that these are two teams that played against each other in the Maui Invitational Tournament, and UConn actually took Kentucky to the woodshed, I believe a 17-point victory. So um, Harrelson, 
could be a big part of the reason while they're why they, this time could be different. Um, also, looking at uh, the play of Brandon Knight, he was terrible in the Maui Invitational. Just like I said, getting used to the Calipari system, um, he'll be instrumental in their uh, in their uh, uh, final four matchup as well. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about the UConn UK matchup? Uh, I think you pinned it right with uh, if Harrelson keeps up his play they have a really good shot of taking taking uh, revenge on their early season dismantlement i guess uh, of uh Connecticut but it, it's going to be interesting to see how Connecticut adjusts to the physical nature of Connecticut or of Kentucky you have to remember this is the same team that beat Ohio State who was the number 1 overall seed and they did it with this physicality they had i think it was five guys with two fouls in the first half. So if Kemba Walker or uh, Lamb can't get their, their shots off uh, how they want, it's going to be a long night for Connecticut. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> this is going to be a tough one. Um, a part of me wants to say Kentucky, just because this, they're this defensive minded team, but they're also young. I don't know if you can still rely on a Brandon Knight this much into the season, and I, I, I'm going to pick Connecticut just because of Kemba Walker. Fair enough. We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll sit on opposite side opposite sides of that game. Now the the uh, the VCU Butler matchup. Um, I talked about it a little bit earlier, where VCU's been a really dominant team throughout this entire tournament, and and you know, save for a couple moments of a couple of games, it really never felt like any of their victories were in doubt. Um, uh, Butler has done a lot more on the uh, – has, has definitely raised the stress level of their fans a lot more throughout the tournament. We'll put it that way. Um, ultimately, though, like I said earlier, I think that VCU is riding this incredible wave. And as we all know, all waves crest and break. So I, I, I don't know if it's going to happen in this round or if it's going to happen in the next round or maybe it doesn't happen until after the season's over. But I just – I don't know if I can count on VCU to keep up this wave and um, I like the nitty-gritty way that Butler's found ways to win games throughout this tournament. And I think that I think they're going to find a way to do it again here. And the experience of uh, Brad Stevens, possibly the best coach in college basketball right now, is going to be a big, uh, a big attribute that they can rely on. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement there. I think the uh, combo of Shelvin Mack and uh, Matt Howard will propel the Butler Bulldogs into the uh, final. Now, just to throw some stats out there, um, for the four teams that are left, uh, just, some, just some key facts. Uh, field goal percentage, Kentucky leads the lot. Field goal percentage defense, Kentucky leads the lot. Uh, Three-point percentage, Kentucky leads the lot. Three-point percentage defense, UConn is number one, Kentucky a mere .7 points behind. I think you're kind of understanding a trend. Statistically, it looks on paper like Kentucky is the best team in the tournament uh, remaining, but... Um, Geez, I don't know. Like I said, this was a 17-point victory for UConn earlier this year. And, you know, let's say we're both right and Butler is the championship matchup. I'm not sure that I think they go down with any ease or, or uh, reliability in the final matchup either. Um, ultimately, I think, the, I think I'm going to play with the stats. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride with them. I think, we've, I think we see Kentucky winning, their, um, uh, winning the championship this year. They're... Uh, First under Coach John Calipari, which would be in the last 15 years the third championship that they've won under three different coaches. Kind of an interesting fact. But um, 
yeah, I think it's going to be a very, very competitive Final Four. But uh, I think Kentucky hoists it at the end. Yeah, I, again, I, I have no problem with you, you picking Kentucky. Uh, you know, the stats are there. It, it's just a young team this far down into the the uh, time might might run into some problem. It, it wouldn't shock me if they won it. Uh, it also wouldn't shock me if Butler won it. I, I'm on the train. I, <laughs> the fact that they have this experience, yeah, they lost three of their top four starters, but Matt Howard and Shelvin Mack have provided this, the offense the entire year that gives them this possibility of being the first mid-major in quite some time to, to uh, go in there and, and have the opportunity to win it. So I, I can see Butler. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm predicting, Butler to, to win it all. Butler's cutting down the nets, huh? Butler's cutting down the net. Sure, it might be a pipe dream, but I can see it. Why not? Hey, that's 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 fine by me. Now, just quick poll question: If Butler cuts down the nets, is Brad Stevens their coach next year? No, I don't think he is. Anyways, but it'll be interesting to see what other uh, moves you have going on. You know, he'll be the most courted guy out in the uh, NCAA basketball. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess the only thing that uh, Butler really has working for their favor in this case is that there isn't really any super high-profile jobs that appear to be available in this upcoming offseason. I think the biggest um, is is Missouri, but I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that that's enough to lure him away from Butler. No. But, uh, but no, we'll see. Oklahoma job could uh, could possibly be uh, intriguing. Um, I don't know if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm Stevens though I'm not sure I leave a basketball centric school to go to a school where you only get fans in your stadium if you're winning every game you're playing um, like it is like the way it is in uh, in Oklahoma yeah for sure okay so uh, so we threw out our final four predictions and uh, now we're gonna give you a good solid reason not to believe any of them um, uh, we had our little bracket challenge the sports on point bracket challenge and. Our producer, the humble Mr. Bob Severns, sits atop the stack. Now, the interesting thing, <laughs> the interesting the suck thing, stack. <laughs> the interesting thing here is that um, not a single person in our little bracket competition has a chance at properly guessing the eventual champion. Um, everybody went with Kansas, Ohio State. Um, there was a Michigan State thrown in there for who knows why and then there was a there was a North Carolina all those teams eliminated um, uh, we've got a gentleman in there named Craig uh, big Craig Miller is uh, sitting there with a Kansas champion but he does have UConn winning their final four matchup so uh, kind of coming down to the very end on that if he wins that game Craig is our champ if not uh, Bob stays atop the stack yeah the suck we'll stack, the suck stack. exactly <laughs> we'll see how that goes like I said, just randomly pick stuff, and sometimes that works out for you. That's how I got into college. I think that's going to about do it for this week's show, guys. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send your suggestions on how we can improve the show and comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. Also call the show at 646-39-POINT at 646-397-646-398. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week with our eventual tournament champion. Help us out with our post-game wrap-up show. Um, hope you guys tune in. We look forward to uh, putting another show together for you next week.